Let's continue worship with a reading from selections of 1 Corinthians. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, what is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Welcome to church. Happy Easter. He is risen. There you go. Okay. Morning, y'all. Morning. Who's here because a family member drug you? No. All right. We got about a couple of people fessed up. I'll try to make it quick. All right, dude. We'll, we'll try to go fast. No, I'm glad you're here, man. Uh, all y'all look great. We should do this more often. Um, if you're a guest, let me just give you a little context of where we've been. Mike mentioned it. We've been in a season of fasting and prayer. That sounds super fun, right? Over the past uh, 21 days. And here's what the invitation has been to my, uh, to all my friends that go to this church, to myself included. The invitation has been, hey, why don't we be honest with God? about all the imbalances and character flaws and unhealthy habits we tolerate? Why don't we be honest with God about the mess that we make of our lives from time to time? And instead of running from him because of those things, invite him into that mess, like into the darkness. I know we're at church. No one has darkness here. It's Easter. You know, 
uh, into the suffering, into the areas of temptation. See, those are the type of things that we, first of all, we don't talk about on Easter. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you know, get happy. Those are not the type of things we talk about on Easter. But second of all, the, second, those are the type of things that cause us to run from God, aren't they? And what we've been saying over the past 21 days is actually those are the type of things that when you are real about them and invite God into that, he actually meets you where you're at. And actually, if you're not, if you don't have the capacity to be honest about the mess, your chances of meeting God really slim out a bit because apparently he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we've just been saying, dude, what would happen if we invited God into the reality of our lives? Not some pretend version of our lives that's gonna, that we've envisioned we're going to be in 10 years and see what happens when his power meets that, right? And you might think, well, that, I guess that sounds nice, I guess. But dude, that's really hard, especially for religious people. I did say the word honest, didn't I? That's really hard for church folk, right? Religious people, y'all, like to keep a safe distance between, between themselves and any hint of weakness, don't they? They like to put up a strong front for Jesus, right? And we forget sometimes, especially Christians, that it's actually acknowledging our weakness that qualifies us for salvation. It's like the only prerequisite, y'all. Y'all, it's Christians that seem to forget that the thing that makes grace grace is the fact we don't deserve it. And when, it's when the undeserving receive grace that it glorifies the giver of grace. That's what glorifies God, y'all. Your strength glorifies you. You know what glorifies God? That his power is made perfect in weakness. And so Christians have this liberating ability to be gut-wrenchingly honest with the reality that's going on in your life. If you're not a Christian, you don't have that ability. You know why? Because your value as a person rests on your performance. You can't fall back on grace. Dude, it's all up to you. You're alone in the cosmos. You got to make it work or not. See, Christians can be gut-wrenchingly honest about all the imperfections. And dude, the waters are great, dude. Come on, come on in, right? It's why repentance, y'all, is an ongoing ethic in the Christian life. So the invitation's been, let's be honest. Let's be honest about the struggles, where that came from. Let's be honest about the suffering. Let's be honest about the doubts and the disorder in your life at church, in all places. But now, Easter's here. And the expectation might be, okay, let's now stop being honest and let's just turn our brains off and he is risen, <laughs> right? Instead of that being the invitation on the table, this is the question I have for you. Can you be as honest with the claims of Christ as you are with your own sins? Can you be as honest with the New Testament claims of what Jesus did as you are with your own sense of failure. For some people, being honest about your failure is the hardest part of this deal. They just can't seem to do it. Can't seem to say these three words, I have sinned. They just can't, they won't. When's the last time you, you asked for forgiveness? When's the last time you told your spouse, I'm sorry? Some people just don't, never, not gonna do it. For some of you, that's the hardest part of this deal. For uh, you know, just owning it, right? For others, though, the hardest part is being honest with the claims of Jesus that he loves you. That's harder for some people, to be honest with the claims of Jesus that he loves you in spite of the fact that you're a messed up wreck. And today, I want to invite you to shift your attention to now be gut-wrenchingly honest with the claims of Jesus in the New Testament. The claim that he defeated death. 
That's the claim. That he defeated sin. And he comes to you today with the power to transform you. Can you be honest about that claim? Because Christian or not, y'all, we can tend to get stuck in our own sense of inadequacies and failures, can't we? And this is what I mean. It doesn't matter if you're in church every week, you got that gum Twilight Paris autograph on your Bible, all right? I don't care. You know all the words. You're saying every word. You didn't miss one word in worship. You were right on, right? Every word. Despite all those things, many of us can't seem to vanquish a, a lingering feeling of inadequacy, right? God can't use me, wasted my time, wasted my youth, wasted my heart on trivial things. And we take up, y'all, I mean, it's so much easier to do this, I think. And this is where I, 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 it's easier for me to do this, right? Take up an identity of spiritual failure. Because, dude, I'm going to be honest about my sins all day long. I mean, I'm up here just, you know, you know, doing the thing, right? I can be honest about that. What's difficult for me is being honest about the claims of Jesus, right? And we take up an identity. We see ourselves as a spiritual failure disqualified when it comes to the things of God, right? And listen, you might have royally screwed your life up. I won't take that from you, okay? You might, have, you might have wasted your years. You might have wasted decades on sinful, trivial pursuits. Like, you know, addicted to porn, addicted to alcohol, addicted to anger. All that may be true, right? And this is what I love about the gospel. God doesn't have to pretend you're perfect to love you. Like, that's family nonsense, right? Your family's got to pretend you're not bat crazy to put up with you, right? What else can they do? They live with you, right? Family has to pretend, oh, they're not crazy or so we can get along with them, right? Dude, God's not like that. God doesn't have to brush your sins under the rug and act like you're not a hot mess to love you. Here's a beautiful thing about the gospel, man. He knows the depths of your sickness more than you do, dude. He sees it all. He knows your and mine inability to choose life over and over again. He knows the fact that you're going try, to try this moral improvement plan and you're going to fall on your face. He knows it. He loves you anyway. Amen. Dude, that's what gets me up in the morning, man. You kidding? You what gets me up in the morning that I'm perfect, that I got this all figured out? <laughs> you kidding? No, it's that when I fall over and over and over again, I have this deep confidence that God still loves me. Dude, it's the gospel. He's going to call it what it is. He's going to say, dude, folly, you've sinned. You have brought chaos and death on yourself, and I'm going to allow all that chaos and death to fall on my son instead of you. Christianity can own evil in the world. We don't have to brush it under the rug and act like everything's perfect. Despite how many Christians act, the Bible does not say, hide your sin, be perfect, or get off the bus. Nor does it diminish your sin and act like it's not a big deal. No, dude, it drags the reality of that inner darkness into the light and nails it to the cross. Dude, Christianity deals with the darkness. Are you? Can you? Right? Christianity is going to take your sinful self. All of us have this. We're going to act like we don't have any. We all have this part of us that we're not proud of. This part of us that sabotages our joy every day. We all have this part of it. And it's going to take that part of you, kicking and screaming as it is, right to the foot of the cross in the empty tomb and declare the power of Christ over the dead places in your heart and life. If you'll have it, right? So for many people, we can be honest about how screwed up we are. I'm kind of that way. That's easy for me, right? That's not the challenge, right? Maybe you're like, I'm a mess. Everyone knows it. But where you struggle is being honest with the claims of Jesus, that he came into the mess, that he loves you, that his power is greater than your sins, that he has forgiven you, he has washed you, that the Holy Spirit's inviting you into new life even now. Dude, that's the hard bit for me, if I'm being honest, right? Because no matter how hard I try, no matter how I go to church, all these things, dude, I could say over and over again, God loves you, he's forgiven you, and you're gonna stay on the bench. 
Because this is why. This is why. Because to you, your sin and failures feel stronger and more real than the power of Jesus. That's just the reality, Christian or not. Dude, our sins and failures can tower over our lives, cast a shadow on the entirety of our lives, and Jesus is the size of a little desk toy in our imagination. What defines you as a person? For many of us, it's our failures and sin. And we despair, and our cry is, who can stand against the darkness and chaos that I feel? Can anyone relate to that? A sense of despair under your own dysfunction? A sense of despair in the chaos that you yourself bring on your life, and you end up thinking, who on earth could be stronger than this? And no matter what I say, do the claims of Jesus just seem less real than our own oppression for many of us, than our own depression, than our darkness, than our addiction? So theologically, he is risen. <laughs> Functionally, he's in the tomb. Many Christians live a life like this. So the invitation of Easter, y'all, dude, is to stick your flag in the ground, not on your weakness, but on the belief that God's power is greater than those things. That's the invitation for you today. To stick your flag in the ground, not on your weakness. I do that so easy. It's just, it's just what I, I'm just tend towards that, right? The invitation of Easter in the gospel is to begin living a life at the gut level on the belief that God loves me despite my mess and sin and anxiety and darkness. And that one day his victory will in fact swallow up death itself. In Easter, we're invited to consider the relationship between the power of sin and the power of God. Do you understand what I mean? We're invited to consider this relationship. What's the relationship between the power of sin in your life and the power of God? These two things are coming in conflict in Jesus. And the empty tomb, specifically, is trying to tell you something about that relationship. You understand what I mean? So we've been saying, be honest, own your sin, quit hiding it like that works anyway. And with an equal amount of confidence, say Christ has broken the power of sin over my life. Easter calls us to check our perspective. Which one do we think is stronger? Which one do you think is stronger, God or your sin? And I'll tell you this right now, this is not a question you're going to answer today sitting in this room. You might start to answer it, but you, you can sing graves in the garden all day long. What you really believe about that will have to be revisited over and over and over again. And this question, what has more authority in your life, the power of your own failures or Jesus, you're going to have to come back to it. I have to come back to it all the time. What do I really believe has more authority in my life? All right, but to help you make an informed decision to that question to help you see the relationship properly between the power of your own depression and darkness and the power of sin, Jesus deals with another power that towers over all of humanity. Jesus deals with a power that reveals every man for who he really is. No power, I'm mean, sorry, a power that no one, no matter how rich or powerful or beautiful, can escape. He addresses the power of death. Jesus claims to deal with humanity's most basic and fundamental fear and eventuality. Every man dies, as William Wallace says, but not every man. Anyone? Yeah, you know that one? Okay, sorry. Anyone brave heart? No? Okay. <laughs> okay. All humanity, no matter how modern or sophisticated or advanced we may think we are, will in the end be powerless to stop the gears of death. Happy Easter. So Jesus says... Just so you know, 
I'm not throwing out cheap promises when it comes to my power over your sin and weaknesses. I'm going to deal with something that you are completely powerless under, death. Because we know what happens at the end of everyone's life. It's coming for every single one of us without exception, right? We despise it. We ignore it. We act like it will never happen. In our youth, we're convinced we're invincible. In our old age, put a little more makeup on, sister, right? Think of all the things that we do to ward off and ignore death. Some of you are like, what? I'm going to die today right now. You're like, I didn't. No, I don't think so, right? The holy grail, the elixir of life. Modern scientists have actually frozen brains and bodies, right? Lotions that promise that your skin won't get wrinkled. Vitamins promise longer life. Dude, industries on industries built on the illusion that you will never die. Humanity has been powerlessly trying to escape death since the beginning. And Jesus says, to show you I mean business about the authorities in your life, the powers of sin and darkness, that I have the power over those things. Do you want to say, I'm going to hand myself over to be murdered. I will spill out my blood unto death. I will be crucified. I will willingly walk into that final fear of all humanity, death itself, and I will walk out the other side. Like Hebrew 2 says that he would, Jesus would, taste death for everyone and render powerless him who had the power of death, that he might free those enslaved by the fear of death. That's Hebrews 2. The claim is that Jesus defeated death, the ultimate tyranny, tyranny, not as a cheap trick, but to prove he has authority over something else, your sin. He wanted to prove his trustworthiness when it came to these claims and says, if I can cause death to submit to me, I can deal with your little JV sins. If I can, if my love can, can, can defeat death, your sin is nothing before the ferocious love of the Father. If I can obliterate death, I can crush the oppression in your life. Dude, that's the reasoning. This is the claim. Now let's chat, okay? You might think, well, that's lovely, wonderful. Sun sounds nice. But if I'm honest, got my doubts about all that, Pastor. Like we know scientifically that the dead don't come back to life. Pastor, you've been to a funeral. You know that's not how it works. It's cute for the kids. Wink, wink. Turns out Santa Claus wasn't real either, you know? <laughs> I mean, obviously... Something happened in history that turned the small Jewish persecuted sect into the largest religion on the face of the earth. No historian is willing to say nothing happened. So the modern mind immediately begins to come up with theories about how on earth this little persecuted Jewish sect became the largest religion on the face of the earth. So they say stuff like this, you know, this is the only thing that really makes sense. We know he didn't die. That's it's just nonsense because apparently something happened because these guys, dude, I mean, they all went all out, these disciples, right? I mean, changed the earth. So you know what probably happened? He probably didn't really die. Or maybe he died sorta and he was resuscitated. Maybe that's what, like, he was beaten an inch within his life, right? Blood, like, nailed to a cross, speared in the side till he bled out, but he could have survived. I mean, there's that one movie about the guy who chopped his arm off. He survived, right? Somehow, he rolled this like two-ton rock or whatever, you know, over and he crawled miles and miles over Palestinian terrain and then he found his disciples and that's how it happened and he's alive and everyone, you know. So he was like Prince's Bride, you know? <laughs> like mostly dead. And, and dude, Mad Max popped up and he gave him the chocolate pill and that's what happened. And for me, look, I'm just telling you what doctor, I'm, I'm like, dude, National Geographic, all, right? all sorts of people, like modern people, this is their theory. Because they know something happened. They can't say nothing happened. It's not an option. 
So they're going to say, well, he didn't really die. This is like sort of died. Mad Max popped the pill. And that's more plausible to a lot of people than the idea that he actually died and rose again. Now, the stronger theory, that one we giggle at because it's like, come on, right? The stronger theory, uh, and maybe that one that you actually subscribe to today, is that the disciples actually stole the body and made it up. They paid people. Now, this is immediately floating. Even in the ancient world, Matthew 28 says the Pharisees paid people off to say that this actually happened. So from the beginning, this has been a very popular theory. You might believe this. You might say, listen, I can't buy this. Obviously, something happened. The disciples obviously stole the body. So they came back. They found the empty tomb. And then they you know, made up this hoax. And now that's, and they were just like a power grab. You know what I mean? Like, don't people think Christianity is like a bunch of white guys made it to maintain power, right? So the disciples, you know, they, they stole the body to like a power grab and they created this big thing so they would have authority. And this makes so much more sense to many people than, no, he actually rose from the dead. So I know we're at church, but let's sit with it just for a second because that's a real objection. And these are real theories. Because back then and today, uh, we can't entertain the idea uh, that someone actually rose from the dead. It was just as difficult for them to entertain this idea as it is for us. Um, what if I told you right now, hey, you remember so-and-so pastor, that weird itinerant guy down off Duluth Highway? He, he was a quack. He like went around claiming all these crazy things. His theology was bogus, but he got, lots, he got super famous. Remember that guy? Well, his buddies, they said he died. You know, the state electrocuted him, whatever, because uh, he was crazy. And all his church said he came back to life. Three days later, is it, I would be like, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I would be like, where is he now? Right? Doubting me and doubting Thomas, right? Dude, would you not struggle? Come on. So if Jesus' resurrection is just a fairy sprinkle make-believe, like you're, you know, I don't know, it's just hard to believe, you know, that he could do this. He didn't really rise from the dead. Let me just lay a few things before you um, that don't make sense um, if that theory, if we just think about that theory, okay? And what we're going to see is the resurrection from the dead is just as hard for them to believe as it is for us. Uh, if we think back uh, and we think about the people of old, we tend to paint them in pictures of ignorance, don't we? We think they were, they believed everything. Like they think the sun was pulled across the sky by a chariot. Everything was supernatural for them. And we're so much more informed now. Um, can we really believe he rose from the dead? Let me just show you from scripture that they struggled just as much with this and that their faith was not a blind faith. And that's not what you're being invited into either. Okay? So I would say to you, my first thing that I'd lay before you is 1 Corinthians 15. Go read the entire chapter. Paul is responding to people in his day who said, come on. <laughs> He is, the whole chapter. He's responding to people who said, dude, no one, raises, no one rises from the dead. This is first century people saying this doesn't happen. So what does he do? Well, we read it. He gives proof after proof. He's dropping names. He appeared to this guy, to that guy, go ask them. And then he points out, um, which is only compounded in history. He says, why on earth would we subject ourselves to danger for a lie? We read that. Like if the guy stole the body, right? And then just made it up. Do you know what happened to every disciple? They were killed. Do you know why they were killed? Because they would not recant the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. They would not take it back. They'd say, take it back. They said, no, I'm going to kill you. No, I don't care. Kill me. He rose from the dead. I saw the man. Would you die for a hoax? Like, dude, as soon as the knives came out, I'd be like, okay, we were just kidding. We made it up, right? Listen, the theory 
that the disciples stole the body makes just about as little sense as this video. Oh boy, yeah, brace yourself. Are we all here? I need 100% participation for this to work. Yeah, everyone's here, all 12, 11, 11 of us. Well, what's the plan? Well, as you know, Jesus is dead. But stick with me, stick with me, okay? Stick with me. I have a plan. We are going to steal his body. Okay, okay, I'm tracking with you. What's next? And then we're going to tell the whole world that you rose from the dead. Oh, oh you know I'm in. I love it already. <laughs> all right, classic, classic. Then what? And then we're all going to get brutally murdered. Oh! Oh, wait, wait, wait. Come again, come again. Could you go over that last part real, real quick? Oh, what? We get murdered. What's the problem? Uh, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, don't. Don't get me wrong, Peach. I love me a good hoax as much as the next guy, right? Right? Uh, uh, what's in it for us? Do we all get riches, fame, and fortune first, right? No, no, get this. You're going to be hated, hated. persecuted, and reviled for the rest of your life! Oh! Oh! Okay, guys. Okay, fellas, 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 fellas. Uh, look, uh, I... I, I gotta be missing something here, right? Okay? I mean, why on earth would we do this? Can, can we start over? Oh, okay. We'll start from the beginning. Everybody, for John, yeah. the beloved disciple. So, okay. We go down to Jesus' tomb. I, Sounds good. This yes. is really yes. easy. Then, we pay off the Roman soldiers that are guarding the tomb with their lives. Why, Check why would... They do that. Then we somehow roll away the big stone that's in front of the tomb. Obviously, you have to move the rock first. Yeah. And then we steal his body. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess. Then we tell the whole world that he rose from the dead and we get brutally murdered for our troubles. <laughs> Epic break, bro. Peter, you rock. Oh, oh, okay, guys. Okay, and then what? Then we all get killed. Come on. When do we see ourselves become exalted and praised? That's just it. You don't! What, what is happening? Anyone hear what I'm saying? This is the most idiotic plan of all time. Chill out, bro. I mean, do I really have to explain the joke to you? Look, it's that we lie about Jesus' resurrection, and then we all die. Oh! How am I supposed to chill out when our heads are getting cut off? Or worse, what is wrong with you guys? Thomas! Okay, look, back me up here. I know you can't be cool with all this. I know you gotta have some doubts. Come on. Doubts? I will never have any doubts Okay, okay, you guys have officially lost it, okay? I, I am out of here. I, I'd rather be exiled to a deserted island than spend another minute with you wackos. Have I got some good news for you? Fed to lions, crucified upside down. 
Pierce by Spears. Pookie, 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 pookie. Stoned. And I don't mean the devil's lettuce. Stoned. And then clubbed to death. Stoned. And then beheaded, drawn, and quartered. Tied to train tracks. Beheaded. Have you ever heard of a Roman candle? <laughs> Flayed alive. Burned alive. Cooked in boiling oil. Classic. Were you just watching a Babylon Bee video? So, yeah, I mean, it makes no sense. Now, they did the research because that list at the end, that's the list of how all the disciples died. Yeah. Except train tracks, right. That one was made up. Yeah, they, they, they threw that one in to see if you'd catch it. That's right. They're, yeah, good, good call. Yes. Um, Paul, Paul here uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's not dealing with a bunch of frothy, crazy maddocks who turn their brains off and believe everything they hear. He's dealing with real people who have just as much struggle as we do. And the idea that the disciples stole the body, just, it doesn't make any sense. After you see history and how it panned out for them, it doesn't hold up. It just can't be intellectually entertained. And so Paul drops names, go ask so-and-so, we're, we're enduring danger. But there are other things in scripture that don't, also don't make sense if this were a lie. For example, uh, let's think, if these guys were lying about the resurrection, if it were a power grab, like many claim it was, um, if you were a first century person, how would you try to convince a first century world about something that wasn't true? Well, let's just translate it to today. You go get influencers, right? You get the beautiful, you get the powerful, um, the political, religious leaders. In first century, who held powerful political uh, positions? Well, I'll tell you who didn't, women. Women couldn't even testify in court in the first century. The first century mindset was women are irrational and not trustworthy, and their word is worthless when it comes to important matters. And all the ancient neighbors around uh, uh, Israel and Palestine just kind of said, yeah, they all agreed. They all agreed. And in every gospel account, every author points out it was the women Amen. that discovered it. They saw it first. They were the first to believe. Every gospel includes this. Listen, this is a horrible plan if your plan is to convince everyone that something happened. Look at the text. It was Mary Magdalene. He drops names, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. And he even admits that, listen, none of the guys believed it. Like, oh, like Peter, like, are we going to believe the ladies? Come on, boys, right? They thought it was an idle tale. It means that they were like, ladies, stop talking crazy. You're losing your minds. What are you talking about? No one in his right mind would make this up. It just wouldn't make sense. You're shooting yourself in the foot. You're sabotaging the cause. You would never say that women discovered the body or the, discovered the resurrection first. It would just shoot them in the foot. The only possible explanation that every author in the gospel records this is because it actually happened. It just wouldn't make sense otherwise. In fact, they even admit that no one believed them because they're ladies. <laughs> yeah, they, no one believed him. They said, this is an idle tale, ladies. You, you, and even Peter runs to the tomb and, and he walks back marveling. That means like scratching his head. He wasn't even convinced. And over and over and over, we see the disciples confused and struggling through doubt and disbelief, even though Jesus told them over and over, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to rise on the third day. Um, and to the point that in Mark, when Jesus appears to the guys afterward, he's like, what's wrong with you guys? Why didn't you believe the girls? And then third, let me just point this out to you that Kathy Keller pointed out to me in an article that I think was phenomenal. Um, I just want to point out to you, the, the tomb, the, the rock was, was uh, rolled away, the stone, the big heavy stone. Now, 
you might think, okay, well, he had to get out. Yeah, but later accounts in the gospel, we see that Jesus walks through walls. In his resurrection body, apparently, he didn't need the, to, the stone to be moved. So why was the stone rolled away? We, have, we find other accounts in the gospel where he just shows up in a room with the doors locked, right? Why didn't the angel just say, hey, hey, Jesus is alive. I'm an angel. Believe me. Just believe me. That's not how the story went. No, God himself rolled away the stone, not so Jesus could get out, but so that you could get in to see for yourself, to see for yourself. He could have just said, hey, the tomb, hey, Jesus is alive. Believe me, but he didn't. The stone was moved and he's, he basically invites to, what does he do? He basically invites to check your doubts. You don't believe? Let me roll this open. Come, inspect, research, explore, bring your doubts into the empty tomb so you could see for yourself. God doesn't say, blindly believe everything you hear. He says to you, come explore. Ask the hard questions. Research. Be honest about your doubts. Guys, Christianity is not turn your brain off and believe the unbelievable. God rolled the stone away so you could see for yourself. Trust, yes, but verify, dude. Explore your doubts. Walk in. Bring all your confusion and disbelief because he rolls away the stone, right? He rolls away the stone because, this is why, because God is not threatened by your unbelief. God is not threatened by your doubt. Hello? God is not threatened by your doubt. If you walk into many Christian circles, it seems like God's more like Tinkerbell. And he won't believe unless we all clap. Clap, for goodness sake. Everyone clap. Everyone, please. Dude, that's not the God of the Bible. He is no more threatened by your unbelief than the sun's threatened by a cloud. Dude, the sun's still shining in all of its glory, whether or not you are enjoying that in your experience. You can bury yourself in the deepest cave of the earth and scream at the top of your lungs, there is no sun. It is still shining. God does not need you to believe in him. You are the one missing out on the warmth that only he can bring, the only true warmth in the universe. It is your experience in this life that's at stake, not the existence of God or the reality of the resurrection. Let me end with this. Matthew 28, um, even after Jesus physically appears to the disciples, it says this, and when they saw him, they worshiped. Ah, but some doubted. Well, that's fascinating. Apparently, according to the Bible, even seeing the risen Christ in the flesh, even staring the evidence in the face is still not enough for some people. Don't we think, if I just saw the miraculous, then I'd believe. Does seeing indisputable evidence mean you will believe? You will believe. Not according to the Bible. Because these guys were staring the risen Christ in the face and some doubted. This is my point. There is always a way to rationalize, isn't there? People think Christians are biased when it comes to these claims. It is possible to be biased in the opposite direction because of the, you're a product of your time. You can rationalize things away even when the evidence is blindingly clear. And this is where I want to end today. Some of you have been rationalizing your way out of faith your whole life. Maybe you've been rationalizing your way out of faith because of the suffering you've experienced. And you're saying, how could God be good in a broken world? That's how you rationalize your way out. Maybe it's your own dysfunction and addiction. And you're saying, if God loved me, how could he let me end up like this? Or you're saying, God can never love someone like me because of the things I've done. All of that, y'all, is rationalizing your way out of God's love. 
And maybe there's something in you today that for the first time, maybe you don't want to explain it away. Maybe there's something in you right now that says, you know, uh, I don't know if all that's true, but I'm kind of tired of rationalizing my way away from God. And, and listen, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know what I think about all you've said, but if there's a chance that Jesus has any authority over sin and shame and guilt, man, I've got some. Like, I've got some struggles that I feel pretty powerless under. And if there's anything to this claim about Jesus that you're saying, man, I, I might be interested in this. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus, man. He wants you to bring that shame and anxiety and fear and doubt right into his arms. He wants to say to you right now, quit clutching it to your chest. It's killing you. And Jesus says to you and to me over and over again, let it kill me instead. I will take it on myself. All your neurosis, all of your insecurity, all of your anxiety, all of your secret sin you think no one knows about, bring it to me. Bring it all. Because only my love has the power to heal it. And today, if you're done rationalizing and want to take Jesus up on his offer, man, you can do that today. We're not going to dim the lights. We're not going to play music and manipulate you. That's just what's on the table. And we're about to go into the part of our service where we receive communion. Um, And if you want to talk with someone about the potential of entertaining the idea of the resurrection, of entertaining the idea that maybe Jesus is who he says he is, and maybe you want to take a step towards that today, you can do that. And it happens inside your heart, man, making a decision and a choice to believe the things that maybe feel to you a little bit reachy, but maybe the evidence today is, is piling up on you and you're saying maybe there's something to this. Let me lead us through our communion and then we'll come to the table uh, and then we'll make some time for prayer, okay? Uh, I hope that you see today that God's heart is for the cynic. One of my favorite prayers in the New Testament is I believe, help my unbelief. And if you're anything like me, uh, I got doubts from time to time. And I just want to tell you over the next month, we're going to be walking through a series just called Doubt. We're going to be walking through uh, the disciples from the time of the resurrection to Pentecost and how they struggled with the claim, just like we struggle. And if you find yourself today, maybe for the first time, finding Christianity a bit more rational than you thought, I would invite you to come back and hang with us. We're going to be walking through what it looks like to say, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would call those in who have hardened their heart towards you for so many years, God, whether it's struggle or suffering or experience or all the things that cause us to clench our fist at you, Jesus. Lord, would you soften that right now? Holy Spirit, come. And Father, I just pray that hearts would feel um, your invitation into life. I just want to say right now, man, if you... you, or on the outside, but today you want to step in. Just raise your hand. Just let me know. Raise it up. You want to step into faith in Jesus right now. You can do that. Father, thank you for how much you love us. And thank you for the journey that you're calling us on to struggle with our uh, doubts into new life. Jesus, let me pray these things. Amen. Guys, have an excellent week. Happy Easter. See you next time.